Hello, everyone. This is Procedural Conversation, a game ministry talk show. I'm your host, Chris Compendio, and today I'm here with Quinn Milton. They are the owner of Event Horizon Games, a freelance artist and writer, and a staff member at the Wayfinder Experience. Quinn, how are you today? I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, it's nice and sunny, <laughs> which I love. Mm-hmm. For now, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Well, it'll probably get dark in a few hours, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about designing LARPs and other forms of games. Uh, you and I, in our time knowing each other, we've talked a lot about uh, kind of niche gaming topics, and I thought it would be a great idea if we would actually broadcast that. So uh, mm-hmm. I was hoping that you can kind of start us off. Can you tell us a little bit about your career background, just kind of the the path that lets you where you are now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so right now I am a co-owner of a small games company, uh, Event Horizon Games. And I started off being a uh, former LARP summer camp kid. Uh, back in the day, uh, I was a camp member at the Wayfinder Experience, which does LARP summer camp programming for kids and adolescents. They are based in the Hudson Valley of New York. Um, so I got really immersed in LARP when I was a teenager. And then my career path has been very not straightforward, uh, as I think is the case for a lot of artistic <laughs> disciplines and games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, I've always been involved with this one particular LARP community. Uh, and then after graduating college, uh, a few years after I came out of college, um, I kind of got wrapped into making a larger LARP event um, with a few friends at the time, which was Event Horizon. Basically, there were starting to be more um, more destination LARPs that people were coming to from different LARP communities. Uh, we kind of followed in the footsteps of New World Magiscola and used a similar model where we were like, hey, we're going to kickstart this thing, come do a weekend of science fiction LARPing. Um, so I came into the burgeoning company and I was like, I'm only going to do your marketing. Uh, and then fast forward to like a year later and I'm doing everything. And then another year later, I'm one of the two co-owners and things have changed drastically. So I don't really quite know how I became a business owner. It kind of just happens. Um, and then at the same time, um, I've just been involved in some freelance LARP scenes and indie games, uh, making my own things on the side as like being pseudo related to my other artistic disciplines. Um, so I have never worked for another game studio. Um, it's just been summer camp gaming and then kind of building my own thing with some of our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to not to pry about your childhood and your early life, but I, I'm so <laughs> curious how you kind of started. Like, how do you? And let's let's do some vocabulary for people who might not really know what LARP is. Like that literally means uh, live action role playing, if I understand correctly. Yep. Um. So how how did that even come about as a teenager? Like, what 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 drew you to that interest at, at a young age? Um. Well, in some ways. I feel like it was a accident that I ended up being in this local LARP community when I was in high school. But looking back, it was also sort of inevitable because, you know, this was, I would have known someone who knew someone who was involved in this. Uh, this is in California, in the Bay Area, um, and a bunch of nerdy high schoolers were getting together and running their own LARPs. And Mm -hmm. the first way I got involved with it was someone from my middle school invited me to a LARP party. I had no idea what it was. I arrived (laughs) late while everyone was already in character. And um, my, my friend, my good friend Kai, who would later become my good friend, but I met him for the first time there was just like, Oh, like you missed all of the workshops and introduction to this concept. We're already in character. I'm just going to like, bring you in. Um, are you okay? And I was like, 
I am this, uh, I don't fucking know, cat boy. Uh, and <laughs> I just kind of jumped into it. Um, and so it was a bunch of high schoolers um, in my various local communities who were just kind of running our own thing. And they got started with that because some of them went to this camp over in New York. So I got introduced to it locally and then I kind of begged and pleaded my mom to let me go to a summer camp across the country uh, and kind of fell in love with it over there. Um, yeah, it was just something that was happening around me at the time. And then it kind of feels like everyone I knew somehow kind of knew people who were involved with it. So I'm sure if I was didn't go to that one random party with a bunch of strangers <laughs> pretending to be cryptids, I probably would have gotten introduced to it at a later time. Mm -hmm. And now look at us. We're cryptids in real life. So um, it all works. And now we're just cryptids every day. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, we we can get we can get into this later since I have a point about um, kind of the education aspect of this. But um, mm -hmm. to your knowledge, like who kind of who who actually runs those camps? I mean, I, I know like I I went to a lot of summer camps, but they were they were a little more like like I did like a a game design thing, but it was for it was kind of more of a STEM oriented thing. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there are any like local organizations or like schools or universities that um, are behind those camps. Right. Well, um, the Wayfinder experience that I'm still involved with um, has been a company in uh, it, it had a different name beforehand or it emerged out of a different sort of company, but it had just been in the New York area for 25, 30 years. Um, and like a lot of LARP, people came to it independently from different ideas. There was no sort of mass education about like, now LARP exists and we're going to tell people about it. It was mm -hmm. uh, a few people who played Dungeons and Dragons and wanted to do it off the table and in costume and in real life. And a lot of different LARP traditions emerged completely separately, uh, coming to similar ideas or very different ideas. Um, so right now there are more um, after-school programs and schools that are interested in LARPing and gaming as educational programming. And since games are um, a larger field and one that is considered more legitimate, there's more interest in using game design and learning game design. Um, but yeah, Wayfinder experience was just some people started doing it. Uh, it, eventually mm -hmm. formed into companies. Now two of my friends own the company and I'm still there doing uh, a few weeks of summer camp every year and helping out with other things uh, on the off season. Right. Okay. So I think from there we can kind of talk about, um, kind of get into our first discussion point about the differences between all of these different mediums of games. And this could be a good opportunity for us to kind of lay down some distinctions and some definitions and right. um, and whatnot. So Uppercut usually like mainly talks about uh, video games. We we occasionally dive into other forms of pop culture. And, you know, we've had several pieces about uh, role-playing and specifically tabletop role-playing uh, go, go out. You, you mentioned tabletop. So, I mean, how do people kind of... Uh, what What is kind of... Uh, what am I looking? What's the word I'm looking for? Like analogous from from tabletop to, to tabletop to large that can kind of get people from one to the other. Like, what are the right? Like, is is that kind of how is that what works with you or like any of your peers? Do they just kind of like jump from one to the other? Are they kind of interchangeable in a way? Um, I think it depends. Um, like as there are a huge variety of different tabletop gaming experiences, there are a ton of different LARP experiences and some of them are similar and there are instances where people can go from one to the other fairly easily. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the LARPs that I have been involved with for the most part have been very story focused, very narrative and interpersonal role play focused uh, not so much the battle simulation mechanics or combat focus necessarily. Um, and so a lot of the people I know who play tabletop games, they also like 
lighter games, or even if they're playing a crunchier game like Dungeons and Dragons, they tend to focus more on the stories and the characters. Uh, and they like to say, have prolonged conversations in character at the table. And from there, it's not a difficult step to being in costume in person, acting as your character and cooperatively um, making a story. Um, there are some big differences between any tabletop game and a LARP. And I think the biggest one is that LARPs are a form of embodied play. So with tabletop, for the most part, um, you are telling what your character is doing. You are sometimes acting as your character, but you are not in real time constantly playing the character in your body. And similarly in video games, you have the um, distance or metaphor of the screen and the video. Uh, but in LARP, it is for the most part real time. It is your real body and real self. And there is kind of, there can be more immersion in constantly acting and improvising as your character and doing certain things. Um, right. And the fact that you are embodying the game directly, it kind of like the content hits, hits different. And one of my favorite examples of this is for horror LARPs. Horror LARPs are great and I love them. This happens also in video games, but when you're LARPing, your body truly feels like it is in danger and that you are afraid. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have this cognitive knowledge of, I'm actually safe. Like I can experience this stress and fear and like crawl through the brush, avoiding these alien monsters uh, and have this physical experience uh, but I know that actually, like, I'm going to be okay at the end of the night. All of my friends are going to stop being monsters and <laughs> we'll, we'll be getting along again, right? Um, and it sort of affects your, I believe it affects your, like, memory forming and learning differently when you're actually moving through a space and physically interacting with whatever the environment is. So, like, at Wayfinder, we do a lot of running around in the woods at night. And all of us have gotten really, really good at like sneaking, navigating <laughs> forests in the pitch black. And uh, we can also have a um, practice response to stress in that we have been in the middle of battles and dangerous situations in the game, uh, which I know for some people has translated to in real life, stressful, dangerous situations, being able to handle things because you have some sort of physical practice at doing it. Right, right. Um, there are a lot of different ways that uh, doing things with your body is different than just engaging with your mind. Um, and there are probably some scientists and academics who have more uh, like brainy thoughts about that than I do, but I just kind of have... Experience about it yeah no I, I thought that was really insightful just kind of working on your first-hand experience um with that I, i'm just so curious about um talking about constraints between the different mediums mm -hmm. because you know in video games like you're constrained by whatever they programmed yes um, when you're working you know when when you're talking about embodied play like what are what are the constraints like are, are like is it just at some point, it's just the honor system and just promising that you won't really go outside any confines. Like, how do, how exactly does that work? Yeah, um, there are, it kind of depends on the LARP tradition. Um, so there are some LARP traditions that um, have a realm where a lot of things are possible. They might have someone who is like a dungeon master who is there to say, okay, you have summoned an invisible dragon that we're all going to pretend is over here or like the sky claps with thunder or a meteor strikes or something like that. Um, that is not the tradition that I play in. Um, there is something called what you see is what you get, which is um, a rule of thumb for a lot of the LARPs that I play in, in that we don't try to pretend that a lot of things are there that aren't actually there. You know, if right. you are saying, 
I am a fire elemental and my face is constantly on fire. It is a big ask for other people to remember that like, okay, that person's face is on fire. That person's hair is blue. Like these are kind of silly examples, but Mm -hmm. um, we try to play a little bit more with what is around us. Um, At the same time, there can be uh, some things are not totally literal. Like, you have costumes and makeups that make you look like a living flame and everyone knows in the game lore that there are living flames. There's kind of more room for imagination to come in. So one restraint is what you can ask the players to believe exists around them. Actually kind of a funny thing about this is that, um, (laughs) so at summer camp, Mm -hmm. we have a few different locations and they're all like upstate New York forests, basically. Uh, And then our participants write these games that we run and we choose a game where they're like, we are in the middle of a cyberpunk city. And it's like, okay, but there are, there's no city around us. We are just in the woods at a camp. <laughs> right. Um, so it's always, we always say something like that, like this is the one giant garden in the middle of the cyberpunk city, because you can't really ask people to, um, you can't burden players too much with imagining things that, and remembering things that aren't in front of their eyes. Right. Sure. sure. So that's one thing. Um, and then another constraint is like location and, getting people there um just managing an in-person event is a lot of work uh there are definitely larps that are uh completely remote or digital or have some aspects like that but for the most part uh you are have to work with accessibility of the place uh costs of the place like logistics of getting people there uh and then i think another constraint is thinking is who you are playing with and what everyone is comfortable representing with their own body. So there are, uh, people have different opinions about how to do things like say in a game where we are playing this, uh, we're doing a historical LARP, like should we have people who are playing different ethnicities, races, or uh, disabilities than what they actually have. And there are different opinions about whether you should do this, whether you shouldn't, what are the proper ways to do things. Um, you know, in a tabletop, you it's a little bit easier to say, you know, my character is X, Y, and Z. I want to insert in, uh, I want to play a kind of different experience a different bodied experience than my own, but there's kind of a different tension if you're doing it with your actual body, especially because uh, all of the LARP communities I know are majority white um, Mm. and also have various issues with uh, diversity and racism. So there's kind of like, I think that's a consideration for, and a certain limitation for embodying play. Right, right. Which is not a fun one, but <laughs> oh no, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean that that is a that is certainly something that every medium kind of has to face. But uh, when when using that physical space, that that sounds I I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, for the most part, I am not super comfortable with myself, like embodying experiences that are way outside of mine and I'm not necessarily comfortable with other people doing it in the same game that I'm in at the same time I'm not here to like check people's what people's disabilities are or like ethnicities or something like that but it's just something that um I'm not entirely comfortable with uh but I do know some people who have different opinions on that right we won't have to get too deep into it but I'm curious if you've ever encountered people who just uh do not care and might just have no filter. And if you've ever had to deal with that, uh, I haven't had to deal with it, deal with it personally, but in like okay. the larger Facebook groups of LARPers from all across America, there is just like the conversation about drow blackface comes up like mm-hmm. every month. And it is so tiring. Cause we've wow. like, we've all already talked about it before, uh, but it just, someone always needs to bring it up and like, why is, why is this a problem? We're just like, could you not? <laughs> yeah. Even still in current year. Um, 
That's, yes. That's absurd. Uh, anywho, <laughs> transitioning. I am. So you, you talk about embodied play, but I kind of want to distill the word, like just focus on the word play. And since mm-hmm. we're talking about the distinctions, I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts of what do they all have in common? Like what is, because I feel like it's so silly, but I feel like when we talk about games, we don't talk about play enough and just the experience of play. So um, this might be a little too open-ended, but I'm just curious in your thoughts on like what makes play play. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I actually love this question. Um, I think play is very important. It is a universal thing that uh, all children play. A lot of animals also play. uh, And it is very interesting to look at the ways that those can be similar. So animals and kids play um, to learn how to do certain things and also form boundaries of behavior. So like I would define play very broadly as basically for, it's kind of like a ritual um, where for a short period of time, you and a certain number of people around you are buying into a reality that is slightly different than your own. So if you are playing chess, you are buying into a reality where there are these official rules that must be cohered to. Uh, and then there are also certain rituals that are part of the game, like deciding who is white and black on the board and things like that. And when kids are playing, um, they kind of intuitive, for the most part, they kind of intuitively know, like, this is playtime. We are making things up. Uh, We might be play fighting with each other, but if someone actually gets hurt, that is a point that that is sort of a boundary of the game. So for kids and animals, you will see animals play, playing, uh, hunting with each other um, and sort of fighting and tussling. And one of the things that they learn from this is what is actually going to hurt the other creature or or child. So like my cats play with each other uh, and there is biting and scratching involved. Uh, But at a certain point, it crosses the line out of play into a cat is actually say hurt or is um, upset. And that is the time that the cats are learning that that is going too far physically with this other creature. Like I can't do these things. Uh, Kids also learn a lot about social norms through playing with joking and what is okay to joke about and say, and at what point you hurt another person's feeling and that then that is not okay, which is kind of to harp on the point that like uh, everyone kind of does it. And it's a way of learning and navigating reality. But yeah, I think any playing is, It's both kind of an attitude that I don't know how to describe, uh, a sort of orientation towards whatever material or reality you are dealing with. And then also this ritual of for a certain time being, we are all consenting to something that is slightly different from reality. And there are things that can mean the game has ended and is over. Right, right. But it only really works if everyone can consent to this shared reality. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is actually an idea that um, my friend Jay Dragon has written about recently. Um, so I guess I'm kind of stealing some thoughts from them. But if You're signing your does, works. You're signing your references. Yeah, I'm signing my references. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, if people haven't consented, if people aren't aware of the game, they can't completely play it unless you're doing something like Mao, which is like the understanding that you don't know the certain rules and that you'll learn certain rules. Uh, and then if people have not agreed to play the game, you, it's very difficult to force them into playing it and they will probably not actually be engaged in a playful way and have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Consent of a shared, slightly different reality. Right. Right. I don't know if I, my, my head is just here because I recently saw a movie that focused on professional wrestling, but I don't know why. Very playful. Think about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it absolutely is because it is, uh, it's a performance. It, there are Mm -hmm. certain things that are allowed and are not allowed. Actually, like I end up thinking of 
almost all experiential design as games um, because there are always conventions that you agree upon. Um, and then I think one, one difference that could be drawn between any experience design and a playing is this idea that for a time being, the reality is kind of different, but I don't think that's really a hard line. I would definitely say that wrestling is very playful. Mm -hmm. It's <laughs> wild card question is wrestling a LARP. Wrestling is absolutely a LARP. They have mm -hmm. characters, they have superpowers, mm -hmm. like they have, there are literally like superpower, like finishing moves that they have. Yeah. There are That's like true. narrative <laughs> stories that like mm -hmm. are fictionalized about their personas. Yeah. Oh wow. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> I yeah. I I just love conversations like I, I I remember um I I I was on a plane uh sitting next to a a friend of mine who was in dramaturgy and um they were the flight attendants were doing the thing where they they demonstrate like all the safety features of the plane and. My friend just started giggling. He just started laughing, and he just kind of like just whispered to me, "He's like, you know, I <laughs> I have a theory that um, the flight attendant demonstration is actually like one of the most uh, pure and primitive forms of theater." <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just love like That's just amazing. just kind of interpreting um, basically anything like any sort of performance like in that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, wrestling has a narrative; it has story themes. So, um, if we're talking story themes, I'm I'm curious how um, if there are any particular, like you being someone who's focused on the story, um, how what kind of story themes do you think are better suited to it, to these types of interactive storytelling, or if not better suited, at least like ha can have like a a different uh, tint to it, I guess. Yeah, um, I think that there are very few things that I would say are not necessarily suited for LARP. I guess I already talked, touched on this idea that because people are physically present, that kind of changes the way that certain things hit uh, and right. just physical accessibility constraints. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, I really like horror games of all kind. And I think that horror horror and survival topics are very good for LARPs because you're doing physical learning and you get like a real physical thrill out of it. That's kind of just a personal opinion on mine. Um, and then I also really like stories um, for LARP that can facilitate like characters from who are very different or from different perspectives, like being forced to like work together or to like salt, like come up with some sort of like problem solving, which I guess is pretty broad, but like, sure. I know what you uh, mean. Yeah. 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 I, I just really like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that from what I've seen with LARPing with youth and adolescents uh, is that LARP is very, very good for experimenting with uh, your personhood and sense of identity. And also it can be very good for learning empathy and compassion for other people by asking you to imagine yourself and then play out perspectives that are different from your own in ways that, you know, video games and tabletop games can also do, but there is the immediate physicality of, okay, I am in this situation for a few hours or whatever it is. Um, it kind of immediately just registers in your brain, I think, a kind of different way. So I think that there's kind of a transformation quality to LARP. You know, you put on costume and makeup potentially um and you can be someone else uh and it's not just parroting a character uh and saying what a character does at the table it is you are really just walking around as a different character um and then from my experience with uh wayfinder and then also event horizon it is particularly good for uh, experimenting and 
pushing the boundaries of gender for people and gender experiences. Um, that's something that has happened a lot uh, in my play communities, which I think is great. Like we really like giving uh, at Event Horizon, we have liked giving our players opportunities to try out different modes of presentation and dress, um, use whatever pronouns they want to, things like that. Uh, and mm-hmm. in the sci-fi setting, there are other opportunities to think about uh, your relationship to self, body, gender relationships, whether it's literally about gender or you're the AI of a ship in uh, an android body and maybe that has is a little bit gender too. Right. I think we talked a lot about physical spaces already. So mm-hmm. unless you have anything more to say on that, uh, we can kind of talk about uh, for sure. Uh, game design slash game writing. So I am just so curious how game design and game writing kind of intertwine when you're talking about these story themes and uh, working in physical spaces. And I kind of want to ask that in a sort of chicken and egg kind of mm-hmm, way, mm-hmm. like like which which comes first and affects the other. Uh, right. Personal experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the eggs comes first. Uh, <laughs> and by that, I mean, for me, the design always comes before the writing. Um, like, I'm a writer. I love writing. Uh, writing is not my favorite part of designing games or LARPs at all. Um, and I, the way that I go about things is I think about the broad picture of the design. I have... At the top of every document, there is, you know, what is the key experience I want people to have from this? What are my design principles or the main themes? Like, what is the kernel that I am trying to do? And then I try to work from there and always refer back to it. There, are, This is kind of just the way that I go about things. But in the case of, I think, all games, the design is so much more than just the written word on the page. It's kind of all of the ideas about how you facilitate whatever experience you want your players to have. Right. And I think the writing should be in service of what you're trying to do uh, and should be guided by these kind of larger design principles. Um, And writing is also working out how to best present things to the player or way to present the design and communicate whatever uh, you want to happen in the game. Uh, And then also like Event Horizon, we are working on a visual novel right now and not a LARP, um, but at the same time, I strongly believe that all of the writing for that, and that is a very writing heavy game, uh, needs to be guided by these design principles of like what we want this thing to be. Right. So are you sort of thinking of that from the perspective of someone who is playing this like at the moment? Or is this are you thinking of this from like this this omniscient uh, point of view? Um, I guess it's a little bit of both. It's um, I think designing for player experience is very important, but it's not the whole of game design because Mm -hmm. uh, there will be many different player experiences for every game and it's not something that you can control. Uh, But I think it is a way of navigating the process to to ask yourself, what do I want someone to get out of this? What do I want their kind of experience to be in broad terms? Uh, And I guess the rest of it is kind of like very aerial view, broad, omniscient, as if I knew everything that was happening with my own. <laughs> Not true. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Where, so you, you kind of, I feel like you kind of already delved into a little bit, like where, and this is a loaded question, but kind of where does the inspiration for game design begin? You know, I, I'm kind of understanding the process, but where, where is, where does the seed come from, from your experience? Right. Um, I think I can come from a bunch of different places. I really like drawing from other media experiences that I have. Um, Like if I love a TV show or a genre of show or story, uh, like I'm very much into uh, cat and mouse, like crime 
games and thrillers. Okay. Um, mm. So one of the games that I have on draft for uh, ever is trying to recreate this genre of storytelling. Um, so that uh, is an example of a source of information uh, of inspiration for me um, is kind of, I think there are, you know, you have a desire to tell a certain type of story that you want to play or experience or share, whether that is, I, you know, want to communicate something uh, of my own experience. Um, and this storytelling uh, is the way that I want to go about it, or I want to, experience, you know, a Miyazaki-esque, like, witch cooking game, because that is just all of the vibes that I care about right now. And, oh, God, I had another thought about this. Um, Oh, my other thought is that I think we're also very much informed by the games that we have already played. So if you've LARPed in a certain way, or if you've only played D&D, that's going to inform what you think is possible for designing games. Uh, So I think it's a good practice to try out very different games or at least read their texts to kind of broaden the idea of what is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I guess this is just a personal curiosity of mine, but when you're talking about trying other forms of LARP, I mean, how do you really logistically get those together? I mean, I already have friends who uh, just cannot get their D&D sessions together. So, I mean, how, <laughs> like, how, uh, how often this is, like, how often do you put together things like this? Is, is that kind of like the same ordeal <laughs> that you have to go through? Yes. Uh, it is certainly an ordeal. I, I, I wish that I had more time to play games than I do, but I really, Mm -hmm. it is definitely a challenge for me right now, at least. Um, Mm -hmm. and yes, there is always the challenge of trying to organize the people. Uh, you know, if you're doing a LARP that is in person, which most are, but not all are, there's the added, um, thing of like, well, who is, like around me that could come to this thing when are they free uh if it is a lot of people what kind of space are we going to use so it can be really difficult i mean i the last time i larped was i guess you could technically say it was at the event i was running back in november 2019 but really playing the game uh i was mostly doing things behind the scene um Yeah, I think it's really difficult. Um, That's why I really enjoy short games and pickup games these days, because they're just so much more approachable. Um, And, you know, if I played a game that is short a few times with the same people, uh, I feel kind of more comfortable just saying, oh, yeah, like, we're both free on Thursday. Like, let's have a phone call and play some, uh, what was it, Battlefield Lovers. Uh, which is a freeform tabletop. So, I mean, I guess on average, like how many how many heads do you have to count? Like how many people are physically there? Um, most of the LARPs I've done are on the larger side. Um, they're LARPs that happen at the summer camp or at certain locations. Like I call those destination LARPs where people are coming from all over to some place over the weekend. So I've run that for uh on the smaller side like 48 50 people on the larger side like 90 Mm -hmm. people uh and then summer camp is usually it's like 30 to 60 80 and but there are also those ones are uh not as approachable or financially accessible to people right um there are a bunch Mm -hmm. of games that are uh, house LARPs that you can play with like three or 10 of your friends uh, and they're, uh, you know, little games that you can buy online and run yourself. Uh, I think those have a lot of merit. And then if there is a community that regularly plays games, um, I'm not really in one right now, but I know of a few that like, like LARP Shack uh, is a community in North Carolina, I believe that they run a few very short games like once a month or something like that. And I think 
if you have a community that is regularly getting together to play any sort of games, I think that is kind of the best way to regularly play, um, keeping it small and local and not super elaborate. Uh, like game LARPs can be, if they're free form, 20 minutes, an hour. Uh, and there are lots of different things that are interesting happening in that scene. Yeah, there's someone needs to be kind of organizing even that effort, though. And uh, th- there are a lack of organizers for sure. Right, right. And um, as, as I understand it, you're kind of. It feels like you're, you're kind of giving back by liking you know, teaching, teaching the youths uh, <laughs> about you know, the <laughs> the um, the fundamentals of game design. And uh, I'm, I'm going to like kind of break a rule I established with you, like, we can talk about what it's what that's like in the ongoing pandemic right now, because that is, mm-hmm. I think, um, relevant, because you don't really have a physical space at that point. Um, yes. So, I, I guess, first of all, like, how do you relay and teach those concepts to people, uh, at the very least? Right. Um, so, right now, I'm teaching a game design class for um, some people remotely in so the Wayfinder and um, I'm kind of learning as I go because I haven't a ton of experience in this, but my favorite way of teaching is like practically working on stuff. Um, so right now I'm not worried about big concepts uh, or passing on like hard knowledge about what game design is, the history of it, the fundamental principles, theory, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't care about theory. <laughs> um <laughs> But what I am doing is telling people about some different types of games, uh, and then we get our hands on actually working on it all together. And I think practical experience is uh, a great way for a lot of different people to learn, uh, not necessarily everyone, but unless you get your hands on a thing and get some actual experience working with whatever design principles or constraints are in um, that type of game, I think it can be hard to understand game design. Uh, And it's also very important to be playing and playtesting the games that you make and thinking about like, oh, I made uh, this decision path in this Twine game and then I played it or I saw my friend play it and they had this kind of experience of frustration and then excitement because I made these decisions. Like you need to kind of see in real time, what are the consequences for all the design decision I made? Um, I think also with any new game designer, uh, it is difficult to see what the entirety of your design, like what you are. It's hard to necessarily see um, the things you're designing how do I word this? You're going to design things you're not realizing that you're designing. You're going to inform the way that people are behaving for your games, especially if they are uh, tabletops or LARPs that you were not aware of. Like even just your introduction to the concepts of a game are going to inform the way that people interact with things. And that's true for kind of anything. The way that you present something is going to affect the way that people engage with it and perceive it. Um, so one thing that is very important about learning game design is realizing that you can design so many things for the game experience, like everything that is part of the experience, whether it's like, hi, welcome to camp. Here's our introductory, like name game that we're doing to each other. Like that is something that affects, uh, people in the play space. Yeah, there's a there's a lot for me to relate to that because um having kind of a history of uh writing something that is to be acted out. Um like when you when you put it on the page, like when it's even when it's just conceptualized in your head, it will register differently when one, there is someone actually kind of bringing that to life, like in a in a space, and number two, when there are other people to kind of react to that. Yes. So I, I think I, I think I understand that concept. Yeah. And another, another part of it for LARPs particularly is that there tends to be way more chaos in LARPs than in other forms of games. Like Uh on tabletop, you can theoretically do anything in the narrative uh, 
or attempt to do anything in the narrative, but you have your uh, GM who is kind of guiding things and can act as the material reality and rules, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in a video game, there is far less chaos because the things that you do are completely decided by the constraints of the game and the story paths, story options. In a LARP, it is absolute chaos. Uh, when the LARP begins, you as a game designer have just basically no control over what happens because there are people in real time, in real space, doing things simultaneously without perfect awareness of everything else that is happening, um, which I love because it leads to very interesting story moments that you just couldn't make up. Like the timing of chaos happening in real life plus people trying to tell a good story is very interesting. Yeah, so it's both there are a lot of things to design and a lot of... Um, letting go of your control over the experience itself. Right. Yeah. At, at the same time, I'm thinking about like, you know, I think it was like a, a, a gag on the office or something like that. Of like, you're playing an improv game. And then there's that one person who always just comes in with a gun and shoots everyone and just completely changes the dynamic. Um, of oh yeah. <laughs> That's one of our kind of rule of thumbs to not do in improv. It's like, mm -hmm. don't, if you bring a gun to the improv scene, you're going to kill the improv. Yes. <laughs> yes, and, I mean, rather. Uh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about online communities and kind of the the circles and the scenes that you're a part of as a result of your work. I mean, so um, obviously there's there's Twitter, there's Discord. Um, I don't know if there's much of a scene on Reddit or any places like that, but I'm I'm curious kind of what the social and professional dynamics are like and how you kind of mm -hmm. navigate through those. Yes. Um, so for the most part, the scenes that I am involved with are the freeform LARP and tabletop scene, um, particularly people who go to uh, Dexcon events in New Jersey. There are three cons a year, uh, Metatopia, Dreamation, and uh, the third one in the summer that I haven't been to and forget the name of. Um, but it's a smaller con. Um, it is, Metatopia is focused on playtesting games. Uh, and I really love these conventions. And there is a crew of um, freeform LARP and other adjacent to freeform LARP designers there um, who are various smaller professionals or, you know, um, indie designers. So that is a lot of the people that I know in the scenes. And then online, I also am kind of tangentially, I tangentially see things from, uh, in the indie LARP genre of um, lyric games. I can't believe I almost forgot it. Uh, but lyric games are like a big thing right now, which are kind of like games that push the boundary of what it means to be a game and are mostly about having an experience of reading the game on the page. Um, I'm not really a lyric designer at all, but I have a bunch of friends who are very involved with that. So that is some of what I see. And then, um, there's also some tabletop mix in there. Um, so the experience of the online and then in-person community, it's the people that I associate with and the circles are majority queer trans, um, which is pretty cool. Um, mm. And there's uh, definitely some weirdness about professionalism and um, being social, it can be very difficult to um, have professional boundaries or to move a hat from I am playing games with all of my friends in which I am also a player who is interacting with these things as a player to I own a company and I'm running this big event and have to be professional about things. Um, there's a lot of, it's just weird. Um, because most game runners are also players sometimes. Uh, a, there are a lot of different game runners. And 
it is hard to tell if it is okay for people who are organizing events or game runners or in positions of even small authority to share things in the same way that players do. You know, there most people that I know are it's all, it's all pretty small fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. Um, the most established indie game developers um, that I know, like they are well established, but it's all very small companies. There are small distributors um, and LARP companies in particular are a newer thing. And I am not really involved with the, well, the larger ones are, I don't really know what's up with them right now. One of the larger ones is no longer a thing and I'm not sure what's happening with the other. (laughs) There's just not big companies that are super established. Anyway, yeah. Also, there's like, uh, everyone has opinions. Uh, all players <laughs> have a lot of criticism. I think that's true for all sorts of games, but absolutely. with a, uh, I guess the somewhat accessible game making experience of indie tabletop and LARP, it's like everyone's a designer, everyone's a critic. They're not necessarily good at dealing out criticism or receiving it. Right. Yeah. There's, I don't know. I love my friends very much. And Uh I try to, uh, I guess, maintain a little bit of a more professional demeanor regarding uh, the games that I make and the type of games that I make. uh, And more personal stuff is things that I don't necessarily share online um, just so that I don't get in any weirdness. Uh, there's always drama, you know? <laughs> I, I I know firsthand exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I also like my real niche niche that I love is like edgy horror and transgressive little games. Uh, I feel like that's a smaller batch of designers that are doing that, especially queer trans designers. I feel like there are more queer trans creators that are dealing with content that is not super transgressive, that is maybe more tender queer or um, about political correctness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I guess that's not necessarily fair, but like games that are softer or not horrible and disgusting which are the games that i love (laughs) (laughs) okay uh you know there's not really for the most part um trans people don't necessarily have permission to be any any less than perfect representations of every single trans person ever and are we so not allowed to portray um at all problematic people or bad people so yeah, that's a whole other bucket of worms that we don't have to get into, but oh, I have yeah. opinions and yeah. the listeners should know. <laughs> we'll, we'll plug your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yes, engage in the discourse. Um, so I, it, it when you said indie, indie LARPs and like indie games, I mean, it didn't really occur to me that there even could be like, Triple A LARP, you know, like we talk about the <laughs> companies, and I, I, oh god, I, I'm not. I would you be able to kind of paint a picture of like what that looks like? Because I have no concept in my head right now. Right, I can I can tell a little bit, um, but basically, like um, what you would call a triple A LARP, it, it's not really the same thing. But there's a term for blockbuster LARP, called blockbuster LARP. The idea is that it is a big production game that has a big ticket cost that has a lot of people and is like, there's a big wow factor to it. Right. Um, And, but the fact is that for profit profit LARPs is for the most part, a business structure that we have not figured out how to do sustainably yet. Um, I know several companies of similar sizes that are doing destination LARPs, um, like Event Horizon has done in the past. Uh, we're kind of doing different things for right now, for at least 
it is a very difficult model because to sustainably pay people for everything that is happening, it is very expensive um, in America. So the cost of locations alone in America is just way up there. Um, and these blockbuster destination LARPs are usually multiple days. You're housing and feeding people. You're housing and feeding 50 to 100 people, right? And there's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, a lot of these games have like custom or individually written character sheets that can be very long. It's just, it's just very difficult to make it a sustainable business model without having ticket prices that are very expensive. Uh, and there are LARPers that do pay out for very expensive experiences, but we are all kind of concerned that that doesn't reach a lot of the players that we want to have. Um, mm -hmm. Thankfully, most of these companies have scholarships that have been fairly successful, but it's still kind of a established problem. On the other hand, uh, not necessarily what I would call big companies, but in Nordic countries, LARP has been established for a lot longer than it has in America. And uh, some of these countries have government funding for arts, including LARPing. Um, so things are more accessible over there, financially speaking. So in other countries, there are uh, different realities. Um, and when things are more established, I think things can get more accessible for people. As far as like AAA companies, um, one of the Nordic ones was Joback, and they had to close down a year or so ago. Uh, and then the only other really big LARP company I know of in the States is um, Imagination, which basically has leased out the IP for uh, this LARP that different um, groups can run all over the country uh, and they don't really control those groups. So they license out the LARP and the individual groups kind of make it happen in their own area. Right. Um, I'm not really sure what is up with them right now. Uh, it's definitely a weird scene. I mean, people are broadly interested in LARP and immersive experiences. You know, Disneyland is doing the whole like Star Wars immersive hotel or whatever um mm -hmm. it is something that is going to continue to have interest but there's not really a formula for success right now and i mean i'm not an expert i'm not in the video game community but there is not necessarily a formula for sustainable success with video games right now as far as uh if you include workers in the sustainable model which any studio should. Yeah, that is totally <laughs> fair to say. <laughs> I'm so curious, like how all of those, all those companies will kind of, um, how they'll operate, like out of the the shambles of uh, what right. currently. It's it's such a strange time. Like it sounds like it was strange even before all of this. Oh yeah, it was. It was always very strange. I mean, I'm you know, I own a little company. I'm definitely more interested in like helping to facilitate smaller communities doing their own thing than necessarily, I don't necessarily believe that the business model is the way to go to make LARPs happen for people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely weird. Uh, the stories I could tell when we are off mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to hearing all those at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah, whenever it, this is so frustrating because I was like, "Oh man, I, I can't wait to like, like actually record a podcast with someone physically because we're like we're not that far away from each other, but we're not leaving our houses, so not right are. now. <laughs> One day, um, yeah. we can wrap up by talking a little bit about um, indie marketplaces because I was so curious about your thoughts on itch.io because um, that's sort of a space that I've been. Exploring more recently, I, like me personally, I've been getting more into into visual novels, into mm -hmm. um, twine games and and zines and whatnot. So uh, I'm curious about um, your your own experience working in a marketplace like that, and uh, I guess yeah. other, other similar sites. Yeah, um, I really love itch. Uh, I think it is great for all sorts of games and other 
uh, pretty much any digital product um, is great on itch. Um, tabletops kind of migrated over there a few years ago. Um, I think it was um, partially thanks to the efforts of Orion Black, who kind of rallied the troops. Uh, they're more involved in tabletop than I am, but there was a hole in the like people didn't have a place to necessarily go. I forget exactly what was happening, um, but they were looking for a new place to have tabletop like online markets and kind of all moved over to itch.io uh, and itch is great for the tools that it has. Um, and I really appreciate that it is now a place where people sell all sorts of different things like on my own itch, I have some short games and I also have zines. Uh, it's a place where I've seen people put up self-published writing and sketchbooks and things like that. Uh, and yeah, it's just got a great amount of tools and there is good amount of traffic and success for indie games there. Uh, the other one would be drive through RPG, which I have not used personally. And basically it seems like drive through gets more visits and hits and other sites, um, but fewer payments for things that aren't more traditional tabletop games. Uh, you kind of need to have, it's more oriented towards um, Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, uh, just for who is on that site and looking on looking for things. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend people, um, whether or not they're kind of well-versed with all these types of mediums, how would you recommend that they kind of go about navigating these marketplaces? Like, I I kind of find myself just just really scrolling around and just checking out whatever's good. I mean, mm -hmm. how do you how do you find things? I guess because there's so much out there. There is so much out there. I like to find things on Twitter, or rather, I like to find people on Twitter. So I guess my recommendation is follow some people who are making indie games that you're kind of interested in online. Um, and if you like some of the things that they seem to talk about or are making, check out some of their games. I think that not necessarily all indie creators have mastered the ability of marketing their games in a coherent way on itch.io. Like I don't put in long descriptions for my games. There's like a sentence in there and then a excerpt from the game, right? And you're not necessarily what you're getting into until you actually get the thing. Um, and then a lot of people I know also have um, community copies available for those for their games, which are basically anyone who is in any sort of economic hardship or otherwise unable to pay for game can just claim a free community copy. Sometimes the community copies increase based on how many sales something will get. So if you're ever unsure about a game and you're feeling the pressure of not being able to necessarily afford something you want to check out, grab a community copy. Um, I would definitely, you know, feel free to message a creator about asking a little bit more. I'm sure they'd be th thrilled to tell you. Um, but yeah, I would say find some creators who seem interesting. If you follow them for a bit and you end up not liking their work or opinions, you know, just that unfollow is right there or mute or whatever. Uh, and then another great way to find games is through game jams. So hit up a game jam that seems to be your vibe. Like there was a game jam for ga games that you play with your cat, like actually with your cat. If that was your thing, <laughs> you could look at like 40 different games that have this constraint uh, and check some of them out. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we can wrap up by... Uh... Plugging your projects, then. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Quinn, thank you so much for talking uh, to me about this today. I mean, we we already talk about this, but to have this kind of like a mm -hmm. nice, uh, confined conversation space, uh, I think is is really nice. So, mm -hmm. uh, tell us where people can find you on social media. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Quinn HPM. Uh, and if you don't want to read my um, shit post tweets, you can <laughs> just follow my art on Instagram at 
hypnagogically that, oh God, let me just type it out just in case. Uh, <laughs> it'll be in the show notes, up. but yeah. It'll be in the show notes, but H-Y-P-N-A-G-O-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y. Uh, on Itch.io, I am also Quinn HPM. That's Quinn with two N's. Uh, yeah, and I Event Horizon Games, my company, we are currently working on a visual novel. Uh, we don't have a title yet, but the working title is Summit, and it is a game about climate change, classism, and culture in a original sci-fi universe. Um, we have a great team of artists and writers that I'm excited that I'll have announced by the time this podcast is up. Uh, maybe even we'll have an actual title by then. Wow. Um, but it's going to be a, uh, a very kind of is, well, it sounds boring, but it's kind of like a political <laughs> game, uh, with a lot of uh, writing focused and character focus, uh, but there are also hotties that you can romance and kiss. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Goals, honestly. Anyway. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to plug, whether it be like uh, from Peters or Friends, uh, while, while you have the soapbox? Sure. Um, anyone who wants to try out Freeform LARP and has no idea how, they should go to goldencobra.org. Golden Cobra is a yearly challenge of Freeform LARPs. They have some suggestions and constraints and have awards. And the great thing about it is that there is an archive of all of these submissions and all of the winning submissions for the past years there. And for the most part, they are games that anyone can play with just a few people and very few physical requirements. Uh, so that is a great place to get started when you're, you know, want to check out what the hell is going on with um, Freeform LARP. Awesome. Um, and with that, let me uh, do my own plugs. You can find me at Compenderizer on Twitter. And on an additional note, since we recorded this, the game that Quinn was working on now has a title. It is called The Sky Left Us, and that is by Ratworm Games. So with that, uh, Quinn, thank you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time. We'll keep the conversation going. Goodbye. Goodbye.